want to read this morning from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be transformed by the renewing, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, I pray that you would be with us today as we talk about restoration of the mind. Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us, that your Holy Spirit would lift the words off the page, that you would lead us into knowledge and wisdom and discernment from your word. And God, I pray that you would be with those who are in this room, who are out on the backstage patio, who may be listening or watching from home. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us with our minds. And Father, these last two years have been incredibly difficult, maybe more so than any other time in our lives. And so much of the, the difficulty, so much of the conflict, so much of the battle has taken place in our minds. Help us to see the connection that you draw between our heart and our soul and our minds. May we be in tune with your Holy Spirit right now. May my words not be mine, but may they be yours. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're in week three of our series, Restoration, where we're talking about how God restores us. And he is in the business of restoration. He is in the business of changing lives. But when it comes to restoration, he is in the business of restoring us by making us new. When we restore something, we make it look new. But when God restores us, he actually makes us new. He creates us and he, he, he makes us a new creature and a new creation. And our verse for this whole series comes from Revelation 21, verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I, what's that next word? Say it loud and proud, all right? I am making things new. He's in the business of making things new. And I, I don't know about you, I'm so glad because there's so much of our lives there's so much of my life that I need restored. We need restoration deeply. And so we've been talking about restoration and, and, and what in our lives needs to be restored and what God's word says about restoration. And he says a lot about him restoring our minds. And I'm really glad for that because I struggle with my mind. I don't know if any of you do, but I struggle in my mind in a thousand different ways. But he says he's making us new, our minds included. In fact, one theologian found that there were 600 and, uh, over 600, maybe even as many as 615 references to our thoughts or our mind in Scripture, all throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's a lot. 
And so if there are 615 references to our mind, it's probably something that God wants us to hear. It's probably something that God wants us to know. And it's probably something that we need to hear and know to be transformed in our lives. Because when we are transformed in our minds, then we can be transformed with the rest of our lives. And so God's word has much to say about it. I'm gonna start in Mark chapter one. If you have your Bibles or your devices or if you just wanna pay attention to the screens, we're gonna be in Mark one. We're gonna end up in Philippians uh, chapter five, but we're gonna start out in Mark chapter one. Now, Mark is one of the gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark is an interesting gospel because it's written a little bit different. It's actually written to the Roman, the, uh, Roman Christians and so he has a little bit of a different take as each of the gospel uh, writers have a different take. But Mark's is interesting because he doesn't go into the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you guys, how many of you are into genealogy? I love this stuff, all right? And so, so far, I haven't, we'll, we'll have a small group that meets afterwards for us genealogy people, all right? All right. So, uh, so far, <laughs> so far, uh, I don't think I've driven my kids too much uh, nuts about genealogy, but I'm still fairly young, so there's still time. So anyway, uh, but uh, my grandfather handed me a, a whole notebook that, this is way before the internet, full of the genealogy of the Cullen family and the Boyd family and the Robinsons and that sort of thing. And so uh, the Heisey's is another part of the family. Uh, I'm glad I got the name Cullen. So anyway, so anyway, uh, we, I love that kind of stuff. But Mark approaches it differently than the other gospels because Mark comes right out of the gates and he talks about John the Baptist. And if you were gonna talk about anybody who was unusual, it would have been John the Baptist. And the reason that he comes out of the gates not talking about genealogy, but talking about John the Baptist is the Romans were less interested in genealogy than the Jewish people were and then the, than the Greek people were. And they were less interested in genealogy and they were more interested in the message, but they would have been very interested in the messenger of any kind of news. They were more interested in the one who was bringing the message than they were the message itself. And they didn't really care about genealogy that much. So he comes right out of the gates and he talks about John the Baptist. And if you know anything about John the Baptist, he was very, very unique. He was the forebearer or the one who came and prepared the way for Jesus. He came before Jesus and he began to talk about how the, world, the world's end was coming. And he, talked, uh, he began to talk about the fact that the Messiah is coming. And he talked about Jesus before Jesus. And he would have been the guy that we would have seen maybe uh, kind of the, the idea that I have of John the Baptist. is If he came to preach in Hilton Head, he would go down to the Sea Pine Circle. And in the middle of the summer when it was 100 degrees, He'd be dressed in a big, heavy, warm coat that you'd wear to New York City, all right, or Canada, if some of you are from Canada, because I know there's some, uh, some of you from Canada here. Uh, he'd, he'd have his, you know, his hat on and his gloves, and he would be all dressed for winter, and he'd, he'd have insects that he would be eating as he was preaching, believe it or not. Some of you are like, that's gross. It's in the Bible, okay? So anyway, and so this guy was very unusual, and if you went to Sea Pine Circle, and um, by the way, turn right around the circle. Um, those of you who are out of town, don't turn left uh, into the circle. So that's a mistake. Just a little side tip there for you. Anyway, if you went into the Sea Pine Circle and you saw him, you would say, this guy is what? It's 
crazy, weird, right? I mean, and maybe some other terms that are not so nice, right? So he was crazy, and Mark focuses on him because that's what the Roman Christians were interested in. And then Jesus comes along. John the Baptist ends up in jail, of course, right? Because he's crazy, and he was saying all these crazy things, and he looked crazy, and that sort of thing. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and these are the first words that the gospel of Mark records from Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. Now Jesus, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Don't be scared of that word gospel. We've changed it over time. It literally means good news. That's all it means. Good news. Good news. Jesus came to bring and proclaim, and that word proclaim literally means with your mouth. The word gospel is where we get the word evangelism from. Euangelion is the original word. Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, we don't particularly like the word repent, do we? We kind of have an association with the word gospel and repent that is kind of associated with preachers like John the Baptist. Maybe they're just like really loud and maybe obnoxious and maybe they say a few things that people don't like and that sort of thing. And this word repent is a word that we don't like, but I think it, that we don't like it because we don't understand its real meaning. And by the way, these are the first words out of Jesus' mouth according to the gospel of Mark, right? My guess is, is that they're probably very important for us to repent and believe. And that word repent in the original language is a word in Greek. This comes from the word metanoia, which literally means to have a change of mind. That you're going in one direction and you turn around and you do a complete 180 and you head in the exact opposite direction of the direction that you were going and it literally means a change of mind it's a it's a verb in the present and active and imperative sense and it literally means meta means movement or shift uh, uh, noia means mind and so we have this word that jesus uses that means that if we are going to in our lives have a change it begins in the mind. And yes, the word repent means that we change with our actions and our behaviors and with our lifestyle. And it means that we turn away from sin and we turn to God. But Jesus, when he was speaking of this word repent, he understood that the, the, the whole thing begins right up here. It begins in our minds. Everything begins in our minds. And he understood that if we were gonna do a 180, if we were gonna do a complete shift and a turnaround in our lives in terms of our, our lifestyle and our behavior and our actions, we first needed to be transformed or changed up here. See, we can't change our actions, behaviors, and lifestyles until we have first had a change in our mind. A change of action follows a change of attitude and thinking always. That's how it always goes. 
And God knew that, and he understands that. And I want you to hear today as we're talking about this that he understands the difficulty that some of you have in terms of your mind because our minds are, are, are something that, that spins out of control. And I know this because I struggle with my mind too. I struggle with this. I feel like I say this every single week on Sundays, but it's true. We all struggle with our mind. It's just how deeply we struggle with it. And by the way, we're talking, when we talk about minds, we're not talking about our, our mental capacity necessarily. We're not talking about how our mind affects our emotions necessarily. We're not talking just about how our, you know, our minds go to a dark place or it maybe goes to an anxious place or it goes to a depressed place. That's mine right there. We're talking about all of those things. All of those things. And the fact is, is that one author says that the, 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 that the human mind will automatically remember something negative. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you wake up in the morning and you think about the negative thing that happened yesterday? You're the person that goes to Disney World on a beautiful sunny day, 70 degrees in Florida, 0% humidity, which doesn't exist in Orlando. And you go down there and you wake up the next morning and you think about the one bad thing that happened. You think about the fact that the you know, Diet Coke filled with Coke instead of Diet Coke, right, at the, you know, at the, uh, line, in the line for food. And we all have a tendency to go to the negative things in life in our minds. Jesus tells us that we need to have a turnaround, a change in our minds. He also goes on in Mark to instruct us in Mark 12, 30, that we should love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of what? Our minds. And so if this is how we are to love God, if we're to love him also with our strength, but also our mind and our heart and our will and our soul, if we are to do those things, if we are to be people who loves God with everything that we are, anything that is impacting our minds that is, flows against that, that is contrary to that, is going to diminish how much we as Christ followers have the capacity love him with everything that we are. Someone once said, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. And that's really good, isn't it? Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. But the fact is, is that our minds are most of the time battlefields, aren't they? They're just battlefields. Yeah, we, we, we fight against negative self Thought We fight against self-loathing. We fight against the negative stuff. We fight against all the things that we hear out there. And the last two years have conditioned us to listen to everything that's out there. Our mind is a battlefield. And in many ways, in terms of our mind, the last two years have made us battle-weary, not battle-tested. We're battle-tired, not battle-tested, aren't we? How many of you would say, man, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm just tired in my mind. Had a pandemic. We, we basically got a, you know, an education, albeit probably inaccurate in many ways, in science. We all just took a two-year-long science class, biology, right? 
I mean, that's what it was. And then all of a sudden we wake up one day, a few months later when things are getting better and there's a war going on in a faraway place. And I haven't even mentioned the personal things that we're dealing with. The mind is a battlefield. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about this in Romans chapter 7 and 8. In fact, if you take Romans 5 through 8 and read Romans 5 through 8, it, you, you could like take just those few chapters and it's the pinnacle of what we believe as Christ followers. It's, it's kind of everything wrapped in one. And, and Paul talks about the battle that we have and he's speaking in, in Romans 7 of our loyalty. Are we loyal in our, in our, uh, in our minds and in ourselves and in our, our, our lives? Are we loyal to our old way of selfish living or are we loyal to God, and he talks about the vulnerability that we have to sin because of the mind. Romans 7, 25 says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And Paul didn't have to include that short phrase, with my mind right there, but he did. And I think in doing so, he indicates that this is where the difference is made in our whole life, is right up here. That we have this battle with the mind. He goes and he continues this, this uh, talk about Rome, in Romans chapter 8 about the, the battle of the mind. And verses 5 through 7, for those, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on things of the Spirit. Now, hang on just a second before I continue. He is writing this letter to, to Roman Christians who are struggling with thoughts of the flesh. <laughs> telling, telling me that like, that is something that can happen, that we can, as Christ followers, still struggle, and that there still is a battle. And he says in verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is, what's that next word? Death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. By the way, he's not talking about physical death here. He's talking about spiritual death. And he's essentially saying if we set our minds on the flesh, on the fleshly things, on the old way of living, pre-Christian the, the way that we live before we are Christ followers, that we are just going to be stuck in neutral. And if you're stuck in neutral, you're not moving. And if you're not moving, you're not living. And if you're not living, you're what? You're dead. But set the mind on the spirit, which is life and peace. Verse 7, for the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law indeed. It cannot. Man, I got to tell you, I was incredibly convicted this week. Incredibly convicted this week on this passage. And I want to ask you a question to contemplate right now, just quietly, just you and God. Is your life full of hostility or peace? Just answer them honestly. It's church. <laughs> I'm not asking you to tell anybody next to you, raise your hand, or tell me. Just tell God. If you want to lie to him, that's between you and him. But anyway, just tell him. Is your life, is it, has it been marked by peace and life or hostility? And if, if it's hostility and not peace and life, perhaps there's something going on here 
that is causing that hostility. Something that you and I need to let go of. Something that has been holding us back, a stronghold that's been keeping us down, that maybe we've just been hanging on so tightly to, and maybe it's time for us to live a different way and let that go. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Are you at peace in your life? If not, if not, maybe, maybe part of your mind is being controlled by sin or by thoughts that are not of God, thoughts that are dark. But Paul, God offers a solution. Paul offers a solution. God offers a solution through the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. We've read it at the beginning when Paul says this. And I want you to hear these verses. I want you to hear these words. I appeal to you. Anytime you see that word, it probably is time to pay attention to God's word, right? It's always time to pay attention to God's word, but particularly when you see that. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Paul here does something, and a lot of you have probably read this verse a thousand times, but maybe not quite understood what he, what he meant there. He uses two words. He says conformed. And the word conformed, when it says do not be conformed to this world, what he's saying, that word that he was using in the original language, which I'm not going to say because I can't pronounce it, all right? I can hardly pronounce English, never mind Greek. So anyway, so he says, don't be conformed to this world, and that means pressed in and shaped by the world. Don't be shaped by the world. Don't be molded by the world. Don't be influenced so that you're physically, he's talking about physical shape here, but he's also talking about the mind, and he's talking about our actions. Don't allow the things of the outside world to press in on you so much that it shapes you. Don't be conformed. It literally means to shape the mind or behavior in the original language. But we allow it all the time, don't we? Listen, I'm just going to be straight up with you, it's, it's not your fault. But the world and the stuff of the world is in front of us all the time. And maybe for some of you, I said this last week, maybe for some of you, it is time, listen, it is time to turn the news off. It's time to unsubscribe from that, that channel or that thing that you watch that is just influencing so much of your decision that are not the things of God. And honestly, when it comes to social media, you probably need to unfriend some people too. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. It is. Because it's in front of us all the time. Negative self-thought. The thought that the world is falling apart. Yeah, it is. But God is still in control. He wins in the end. Yes, there are bad things in this world. Yes, you have personal struggles. I do too. And Jesus promised it. He said in this world, you have tribulation. You'll have trials. And I struggle with this. 
Because when I see all the news, when I read all the stuff, when I hear it all the time, man, I wake up the next day or the next hour, and all I'm thinking is negative, 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 negative. And so maybe for some of you, it's, it's time to stop being conformed by the world. By the way, all those things I just mentioned, none of them are bad in and of themselves. The problem is, is that we just give them the authority in our lives when we put it in front of us all the time. And I'm preaching to the choir here. I really am. That means I'm talking to myself too. <laughs> it's time to stop allowing that stuff to conform us. But Paul says, it is time for us to be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And the word transformed in the original language is a word that we get uh, that, that as metamorphosis. It's the word that we apply to when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And you see the, the impact of the world, the impact of the things of the world, the impact of that news that's always going on that's telling you things are terrible and maybe worse than they are or maybe better than they are. It just impacts us, that social media that just draws us into the comparison trap that we have with other people. It impacts us so fast. We're shaped and molded by it so quickly. But the things of God when we immerse ourselves in it, when we, when we live in it, when we read his word, when we spend time with him, it's a transformation that takes place over a long period of time. But that transformation sticks. That transformation lasts. That transformation isn't fleeting like the quick impact of the world. And he says, be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Paul talks about it again in Corinthians, and he talks about it in terms of a battle. I love what he says here in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. How many of you would say, man, my mind has been a stronghold for a long time? Negative thinking. Allowing just junk in. To our minds. And he says this. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. There's enough of those out there, isn't there? Raised against the knowledge of God. And he says, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And he's using here, he's using language that is military, it's warfare. And so he's driving home the point that this is a battlefield. And that we need to be on guard. We need to be ready. And when he says, take captive every thought, what he's saying is he's saying, put that thought that is not of God in prison. Don't let it fester. Don't let it sink in. Don't let it be something that dwells in your mind because all of a sudden, all of a sudden if something is dwelling in your mind, all of a sudden that thought becomes an attitude, which becomes an action, which becomes a behavior, which becomes a lifestyle that's not of God. And that's what, not what God wants for you, and it's not what God wants for me. He wants us to be focused on the things above. There's an author of a book that is, uh, was written in, I think, the early 20th century. 
His name is Napoleon Hill, and he wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich, which is like, just seems like a 1980s title. But anyway, and the, most of the book is just like about sales, and, and it's about like how you can change your thinking. And a lot of it is very much self-based. It may be bordering on humanism. But he does say this. He says, you either control your mind or it controls you. And that is truth, isn't it? Isn't that truth? Well, I mean, we, we either control our minds or our minds control us. And the fact is, is that we who are Christ followers, we who are God's people, we have the spirit of God on our side who can help us with this. We don't have to keep living the way we've been living. We don't have to keep behaving the way we've been behaving. We don't have to keep thinking the way that we've been thinking. God wants to renew you. He wants to restore your mind. He wants you to change how you think. He wants a better future for you. And I want to end with a prescription for a transformed mind. Because I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm wondering how, right? And we could do a whole message series on the mind and the power of our thoughts and what we think. But I want to know how. And Paul gives us how. In this little passage in Philippians, I think I said chapter 5 earlier, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Now, there are people in the, in the church in Philippi. Paul started this church. He started many churches. And he would start these churches. And then he would move on to start other churches. And he would write letters back to them. And that's how we got most of the New Testament is these letters that he wrote back. And oftentimes, they were letters kind of... Uh, having to change the theology, kind of change the doctrine, change what they were believing in those churches because they had gotten astray. They had gotten away from God. But in Philippians, he largely encourages that church. But there's one thing, and there's a few things, but there's one thing in particular that he addresses before he closes here that's a behavior thing, but he links it to the mind. There were two people in the church that had a huge argument, evidently. Now, I know that's hard for you to believe that in a church, two people would have an argument, right? But they had an argument, and it must have been something, we don't know what it was exactly, but it must have been something big, because Paul is in jail and heard about it. So this must have been on the evening news, and it probably was on social media and that sort of thing, all right? So anyway, so Paul hears about it, and he writes about it at the end, but he takes the opportunity to teach the whole church something when he's addressing these two people. Now, I don't know about you, I would not Want, have wanted to have been uh, these two people because he names them. <laughs> that would have been embarrassing, right? And he tells them that they need to be unified. But then he goes on to link it to the mind and teach the whole church something. And this, this, this is a prescription for a transformed mind. He says this in verses four through nine. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice. Let your reasonableness, I can't even say that word very well, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's a whole message series right there, just that one verse, another time. The Lord is at hand. He says, don't be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's where really gets good and useful and applicable to our lives. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your 
heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here's the prescription. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, what if, what if we truly, as Christ followers, did that? How much would our lives be transformed? How much would what we say to the people closest to us be transformed? How much of our behavior would be wildly changed because our minds are changed first? I mean, all of those things, truth, honor, justice, purity, things that are lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise, if we were to think about those things, if we were to allow our minds to dwell on the things of God, our lives would radically change. And church, Christ follower, it's right there for the taking. It's not going to be easy. For some of you, it's going to be harder than others. Listen, for some of you, who have been through some stuff where maybe depression or anxiety or, or you know, self-loathing thoughts come up so easily. For some of you, I want to encourage you to hang on to these things, but to also get some help. And I've been very open and honest about my years of depression. It started almost exactly the day I turned 40, oddly enough, ironically. But it can happen at any time, in any place. And I want to encourage you to seek out someone, a prayer partner, an accountability partner, a spouse, someone who can help you through that journey. We have Stephen ministers who are here to help and here to listen, who can help you. In fact, after we're done here, our, our, our uh, prayer room is going to be open, and um, I want to encourage you to go back there. And, and if you're really struggling in one of these areas, just talk to someone who may be able to help and pray with you. And I want to encourage you to go back there even after the service is over if you want to walk through some of these stations that we've got set up back there. Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And if the God who raised Jesus from the dead can't transform our minds, then the whole thing is a sham, isn't it? But we know it's truth. We know it's truth. And he can transform our minds. He can change our minds. We can be renewed we can be restored in our minds. Father, help us to take seriously our minds. Help us to realize the, uh, the things that we see, what we watch, what we hear, the stuff that goes in is going to come out. And Father, in the strong name of Jesus, would you help each one of us? Would you give each one of us strength to understand that this mind is a battlefield? And Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I, I just, I pray against the evil one influencing the people in this room and at home and on backstage, on the backstage patio, maybe a part of this, watching, listening, hearing. 
who may be struggling with some really dark thoughts. Father, I pray that you would reach them right now. Would you speak in that still, small voice? You want for them peace. You want for them life. And so much of what they're dealing with, so much of what I deal with, so much of what we as your people deal with, it begins in our mind. Father, help us to not be transformed by this world. Help us to to stand strong, to not let it in, to to unsubscribe, to unfriend, to to cut out the noise, to turn off the news, to, to stop reading about all the tragedy. Yeah, we need to be aware, but Father, we don't need to allow that to consume us. Father, I pray that we would lay down the strongholds. Maybe it's a a bad thought life that we've gotten into. Maybe it's um, us having certain addictions in our minds that have just held us back and are captivating us and are causing death in our spiritual lives. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would transform us. And while letting go can be scary, Father, I pray that you would be with those who are about ready to let go of something that has controlled their mind for a long time. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them life and peace. Help us to be transformed by you into the image of you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,